Take two. <laughs> let's, let's try this again. Oh, man. So we recorded an entire episode. And we went to edit it and realized, why is why does it sound like Caitlin's in the other room? And we just figured out it's because Jake recorded to his laptop instead of through the mic. <laughs> this is a learning process. Yeah. Which, you know. But you know what? We're so committed that we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Keeping Room Podcast. I'm Caitlin, an architect, old house nerd, and DIY enabler. And I'm Jake, an old house lover and DIY enthusiast. This is a space for us to share why we love old houses, what they can teach us, and how you can apply those lessons to your home. Welcome to the Keeping Room. Yeah, so uh, today we are here to talk about energy efficiency in, in old houses and in any houses, in, really. Yeah. <laughs> there's some there's some crossover there. Um, so I remember when Alec and I bought our first old house, um, my mother-in-law was like, oh, that house is going to be drafty. It's never going to be comfortable. Um, and that partially came from her experience of living in an old house mm-hmm. and um, about how much it would cost to heat and cool it. And that's a really common complaint in old houses. People are people think of them as these like rattle traps, and they can be that way, um, mm-hmm. but they don't have to be. No. There, there are improvements you can make to improve your quality of life in those old houses, um, not just comfort wise and and how you feel throughout the seasons, but how your uh, energy bills hit. Yeah, well, I think it's also a bit of a misnomer because I mean, old houses, people were worried about energy costs. In 1900, too. Like, the ads for Windows in 1900 are hilarious because they're talking about saving on your coal, you know, heating costs during the winter. They just did things a little different. I mean, yeah, things were a little bit different. Technologies were different, right? So, obviously, old houses had different technologies and different systems than new houses tend to have. Like, we didn't have the modern materials that we have, like Tyvek or anything, in old houses. So, yeah. So, when we when we think about energy efficiency, or when I think about energy efficiency, I think about those yellow stickers on appliances that I see when I go shopping at Home Depot. <laughs> and it's like, it costs you $20 a year to run this refrigerator. Which is silly. I mean, yes. Sure. Glad that those things exist and that we have improved the energy efficiency of appliances and stuff. But And that matters. It does matter. How those, how those things all work together. But in in the overall impact, maybe that's the last thing to consider. Or maybe that's, you know, having making those choices is going to be your endpoint because there's a lot of other improvements you can make to energy efficiency throughout your home. Right. Well, honestly, and we've talked about this before, one of the most interesting things is to start outside, right? Yeah. Like, you don't even think about how much of an impact shade makes on your house, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And... Old houses are built with long eaves, which are typically more energy efficient for places where, you know, in the summer, the sun is at a high angle and that shades your windows, right? So you don't get direct sunlight in your windows. When in the winter, it's at a lower angle and that sunlight comes through your windows and heats your house. So you kind of get this and like it's it's built that way. And then there's also things like landscaping that you can do, deciduous trees, Um, You know, they have their leaves when it's hot outside, shading your house, and they drop them when it's cool, which lets the sunlight in to warm your house. Yeah. Um, And 
like where you have plantings around your house can affect the temperatures mm -hmm. that are radiating against that exterior wall. Yeah. Um, so if you have if you have a courtyard or if you have like paved surfaces around your house, those are going to get hot in the summertime. They're going to they're going to get blasted by that heat and then they're going to radiate that heat all night long, which will increase the temperature against the wall of your house, which will mm -hmm. eventually increase the temperature inside your house. When you can greatly affect this is microclimate, right? So you can greatly affect the microclimate of your yard by doing more plantings, more shading, more green. I mean, grass is like it when it's hot outside, let's say it's 90 degrees outside and you shoot a temperature gauge at pavement, it might be like 150 degrees. You shoot it at grass and it might be 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. So like that makes a big difference. A, a thing that I saw that like blew my mind this year uh, was a video on Instagram. It's a, a guy that's advocating the restoration of um, tall grass prairies oh, yeah. and like native grasses. And he was talking about how like native grasses that grow tall have like if you shoot the said temperature mm -hmm. beam through them uh fancy technology they will read like 60 70 degrees because mm -hmm. it, it's like shaded and it, it's dense but air can still flow under there and it creates a very different microclimate but a a cut mm -hmm. grass lawn will read temperatures like 110 120 mm -hmm. so that you know how you tend your yard the plants that you have in close proximity as well as generally around your yard because if the entire space of your property except like three feet away from your house is holding a steady temperature of 120 degrees throughout the entirety of the day yeah it's gonna make your house hot yeah it's gonna make your house hot or i mean you can't really affect it so much in the winter if there's snow right <laughs> it's just gonna be cold yeah but trees like if you're in a cold climate trees can be a windbreak right mm -hmm. so if you have uh, why can't I think of the name? Non-deciduous trees, <laughs> coniferous, <Evergreen. laughs> or evergreen trees, um, they break the wind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you put those on the north side of your house so that the wind doesn't blow, you know, the cold north wind doesn't blow on your house. Um, My you grandma can. had a huge windbreak outside of her house, and it was made of, like, really tall bamboo, which felt very foreign and exotic, and also super terrifying because it was always full of snakes. Ooh. And so that was, that was my fear <laughs> of windbreaks but it, you can do it with a variety of different plantings and you know affecting how your house starts to interact with the climate in those ways can have a really big impact on your experience of living inside and also outside of your house. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I mean, I always encourage personally native plants because one, they're made to survive your climate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And generally they're more hardy. I have a brown thumb. I kill things. <laughs> <laughs> if it survives my garden, pretty much anyone can grow it. That is how I roll. But I planted a whole bunch of native plants and that did make a huge difference in the temperature in my yard. Uh, it's just so much more shady and gorgeous and just like cooler. Well, and as much as it can be. I mean, it's still 100 degrees outside. <laughs> also advocating for native plants. They are like the lowest maintenance options you can yes. get for wherever you are. Yes. Um, they will thrive essentially on neglect because mm -hmm. they were designed or they evolved to live without intervention. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to water them as much. You don't have to weed them. You don't have to do all the things. Um, and they generally look cool. Mm -hmm. Like they have interesting flowers that uh, are hardy throughout yeah. whatever season. Yeah, and you just kind of have to, like, learn to accept that it's going to be maybe a little more wild than yeah. a very manicured lawn with a bunch of begonias. But <laughs> and you know what? If if begonias are your flower of choice, have at them. Yeah, you do you. <laughs> uh, but also accept that that's going to have some impacts on your experience in and outside of your house. Well, an unexpected impact on energy efficiency, right? Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think that that was important, but it might be. Cool. So, landscape, first one we wouldn't think about. 
now, we took this backwards, right? Um, I wrote my list in this other direction, but I think that the next thing that you can tackle in an old house or any house is air sealing or um, air infiltration. You want to seal up the gaps where the wind is quite literally blowing through the wall of your house right. or, you know, your heat is escaping through your ceiling or <laughs> your chimney. Yes. Uh, so when I think of this, I think of like the windows are closed, but the curtains are still moving. <laughs> Or there's like leaves coming in under the door. Yes. Like you totally want to, that shouldn't happen. You want right. to block that off. You shouldn't really feel a breeze. And old windows get a bad rap for this, um, which we will talk about windows as its own separate system. But that is kind of why old double hung windows are often seen as drafty or leaky. It's not so much that the window itself is leaking. I have found it's actually leaking around the trim <gasps> frequently. So like some, you know, things get imperfect um, in the trim and that seal that when that window went in in 1910, <laughs> <laughs> it was put in with oakum cock probably. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty well sealed. But over time, that stuff dries out. It, you know, the paint has cracked or, you know, there's air coming in around the window more often than through the window. Now, there is some wind- air that comes through the window, but um, but that's one place that you wouldn't expect is around your trim. So air sealing inside, you can often seal like at your baseboard because that's where a lot of cold lot air of comes come through. through, especially, you know, in the winter, right? You have heat rising, so it's sucking air anywhere it can as that heat rises, as it goes through your ceiling or anything, it's going to pull air from down low and you're going to get this cold draft at the floor. Which makes your toes cold. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants. Um, So it pulls air at that joint in the wall very often. Um, So you can seal with that. There's a couple different materials for sealing. Like I mentioned, oakum, which is, it's like a- moss and linseed oil? Yeah, basically. It's just like a twine with kind of a gummy linseed oil sealing. You can actually seal with linseed oil putty, which I didn't know until just very recently. Interesting. If you're painting with linseed oil paint, that would be a thing that you would want to do. Caulk in general. Um, there's different kinds of caulk. You want to make sure you're using the right one for the right application. You know, if you're going to paint it, you want to make sure it's a paintable caulk. Silicone tends to stay squishy longer. So for things that are going to get a lot of sun exposure or uh, UV damage, silicone caulk is better for that. But you can't really paint silicone caulk. Right. And silicone caulk for... Um applications that are going to get a lot of water exposure mm-hmm. so bathrooms and kitchens yeah things that are going to get splashed great stuff which is really just it's spray foam insulation essentially right. in a can uh use it sparingly obviously don't fill your window weight, weight cavities pocket. with it but you can like get in if you pull your trim off you can actually seal the exterior of the weight pocket with some of that just kind of around the edges because that is where a lot of air comes in so i mean without diving too much into insulation and what it is and all that type of stuff um there are folks that roam around the country that knock on doors and they're like hey you have an old house let us pump foam into your walls because it needs to be sealed yeah don't (laughs) (laughs) tell me why not um it's very often an imperfect system right because they're doing it in a closed cavity which we haven't gotten to insulation yet but no they're doing it in a closed cavity where they can't see if they get it everywhere it's supposed to go so you might have like blocking somewhere in that stud cavity so like there's a void where the insulation just doesn't get past that blocking or um there's old insulation in there and it basically squishes it down but it's not a perfect it's like it's kind of it's kind of wasted money (laughs) and what i was hoping you were talking about is 
old houses are meant to be air sealed, but they're they're meant to breathe. They're meant to be right. vapor open. Right. They're meant to be vapor open. So like in an old house, you don't have a perfect air and water barrier on the exterior anymore. Chances are your house was built with something called tar paper, which is very good for solid um, water. Water, right? It's good for keeping water out. It's not really good for water vapor, um, which that's a different creature than just like liquid water. And so it's yes, vapor. It's solid water. What? <laughs> solid water. Solid water is ice, Jake. But I knew what oh, you yeah. meant. <laughs> liquid liquid water tends to not get through it, but it can. Obviously, after a hundred years, that tart paper has probably broken down a bit. Right. But water vapor has always kind of moved through that. And you want to be able you want that water vapor and water liquid water to be able to dry. Typically in the walls of an old house, they're made to basically get wet and mm-hmm. just dry out. And where you get rot and problems with insects and things is where things stay damp for a long time. Getting it wet, you know, you get a crazy rainstorm and there's some water gets in your wall. As long as it dries out, it's fine. Right. It's the consistent wetting that's the problem. And so when, so when you have spray foam, it's sealing that water against it. that outside surface or wherever it is. That water has nowhere to go. It has nowhere to evaporate to. It just stays damp and then you get things like carpenter ants (laughs) which my parents are unfortunately dealing with half their house has been eaten by carpenter ants or in the south you get termites um so i i was raised like with the houses always wrapped in plastic and i just thought that like that was a standard and nowadays i'm seeing a ton of the zip boards all Mm -hmm. over the place which i think are super cool um and it it's really tempting to like want to do that, um, especially if you're opening up a section of wall or you're like doing some remodels. You think that's a step you need to do. But in your old house, it wasn't built that way. Right. And so when you when you're putting those technologies in a place that wasn't really designed for it, you can be causing more long term damage by, like Caitlin was saying, trapping that water in there or that moisture in your walls and cavities than you are by just letting it go, which feels weird. <laughs> Well, it's meant to be a system, right? So like in a new house, zip system is fine because it's part of a whole wall system where that is keeping the water and vapor on the outside of the house and it is very well sealed. That's the point of it. Sometimes if you're being extra, you want to have a drainage plane on the outside of that zip system just to be sure you don't have any, um, I forget what it's called, (laughs) water drive through the wall, essentially. Sometimes um, hydrostatic pressure, that's what it's called. If water sits against a surface um, the pressure of the water itself will drive it through the surface. Water is really wily. So it'll go through like fasteners or whatever. But if you have a drainage plane, we call it a rain screen. It's really just basically you can have, um, they call it cedar breather. It's like a net. Interesting. <laughs> we're way past. We're talking about building systems now. We're talking about energy efficiency, but it's like a net and it holds the siding off of the face of the sheathing and lets water drain in that plane. Okay. But if you're doing this in an old house and you don't take your siding off, which most people are not going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Taking your siding off and resheathing your entire house and doing like a complete air seal that way is just not attainable. It's happened. It does yeah. happen. If that feels like your jam, then yes, yeah, certainly think about that whole system as a thing. But if you're only addressing something like insulation or air sealing, you're you, you want to think about the system as it's exists now and has survived a hundred (laughs) years you want to maintain that system that has survived that and sometimes adding insulation or sealing it in an improper way can cause issues that cause it to deteriorate way faster than it would if you just never touched it yeah (laughs) 
So we touched on zip system. That's one of the things that I might recommend for air sealing. It's a it's a tape, it's like a sticky mm-hmm. tape, super sticky. Kind of stretchy, silicone-y. Yeah. You like roll it. And you roll it. it, which that could be good for like inside window cavity. Yeah pockets um it it's can be not a, a it can thing. be appropriate to seal specific areas right but that doesn't mean you should like seal off a whole wall Correct. because then that will cause problems because it can drain right it's really for like limited situations where you just want to seal like a crack or a joint yep. or something that's letting a lot of air through uh, and then the one thing we didn't talk about for air sealing and infiltration is the actual wall material right on like the inside right so plaster is actually a really good air sealing um air barrier basically because of the way it's applied it doesn't really have any joints so Mm -hmm. it doesn't have anywhere for air to get through the only place it would get through is essentially if it cracks somewhere or um, at the bottom so that air coming through the baseboard yeah at the bottom of the plaster where it doesn't touch the next thing um in sheetrocks the same way as long as the ceiling to wall joint is taped in my house unfortunately i have sheetrock walls and a plaster ceiling and there's a giant Mm -hmm. gap between the sheetrock wall and the plaster ceiling so i need to seal around my seat (laughs) Fun. (laughs) We love some ladder time. Uh, So that's where a lot of my air goes. It just just goes out that little joint right there. Hey, so Caitlin and I spend a lot of time looking at each other across this microphone. (laughs) And it would mean the world to us if you took a quick second to leave us a quick rating and or a review um, that lets us know that we're doing a good job that you appreciate it and it helps other folks find the podcast that may enjoy it as well uh, so drop us as many stars as you feel is appropriate maybe tell a friend or a neighbor about it accost a stranger in the supermarket we don't care just help us get the word out and thanks so much for listening Okay, so we've, we've talked about how your landscaping can affect, can like set that climate mm-hmm. terms. Microclimates. Uh, and then we talked about um, the importance of air sealing. So in energy efficiency, or you want to keep the air, air that you're conditioning, you want to retain that air. Right. Um, and so if... If it's cold outside and you're you have a warm house inside, you want to keep that warm. And if it's hot outside and cold inside, you want to keep that cold. Right. Because that that gives you the comfort. And so air sealing will stop that wholesale movement of air and mm-hmm. overall losing it. And um, it's really kind of your first line of defense, right? right? Like uh, I would do air sealing before I would start tackling insulation. And so the purpose of insulation is to give a barrier, a thermal barrier right. that's going to help stop the transfer of temperature mm-hmm. across air to air. Right. Right. So that is overall the purpose of insulation. It's like wearing a blanket, right? Yeah. <laughs> it keeps the warm. It's, it's, it is really just like something that slows the thermal transfer. It's not about air moving. It's about heat moving from one side to the other. Um, And so the last time that we talked, the last time we recorded this. <laughs> Last podcast. time we recorded this podcast. <laughs> um, you went on some lovely nerdy tangents about insulation, and I am trying to remember how I prompted you to get <laughs> down those rabbit holes. Um, and but, I'm trying to remember where I was. But um, one thing that I thought was really fascinating is in, in reviewing the tape, um, you talked about the delta T and like temperature changes. Right. So delta T is the difference in temperature between two spaces. So say it's summer and it's 100 degrees outside and you want it to be 70 degrees inside. Your delta T is 30 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty easy, that's probably the biggest delta T you're going to have for cooling. Yeah. 100 to 70. Well, 110 these days, but sure. Yeah, I mean, 
we're just gonna we're just gonna go with 100 it's easy math uh, <laughs> in the winter in a cold climate you want it to be 70 degrees inside but it might be 20 degrees outside and i can't math that that's the 50 that's 50 degrees so that is a 50 degree delta t so you're more likely to have a larger delta t for cold mm-hmm. so insulation is really more geared for cold climates right because it's more geared to stop that heat from your inside transferring outside outside or yes because heat and water vapor and everything always wants to move to the cold side of the wall okay so in cold climates this is why paint fails you have a lot of warm moist air inside in the winter it is pushing through your wall and popping your exterior paint off <laughs> your modern latex paints correct which is basically a vapor barrier right because it if we if we think about modern paints they form like a continuous peel mm-hmm. all the way across the outside of your house um which is why when they start to fail you can reach up and pull it off like a big sticker <laughs> and like large sections will come off so that water essentially water pressure is pushing out through that wall yep. and is pushing it off of your wall. Yeah. But back in the day, they used things like linseed oil paint, um, which penetrated into those materials and were breathable. Right. It is a vapor open paint, essentially. And you can still buy linseed oil paints. Yeah, they're coming back. They're kind of cool. Well, and I mean, it's a green material, right? Because it's, I don't know what linseed is. What is linseed? It's a plant. I mean, it is a plant, but I'm trying to think of the plant. I don't know. Lin? It's not lin. What are you talking about? I've been lied to. I forget. It's like, it's not soybeans. Oh. Flax? Yes, it is flax. That's High what it five is. me. Good job, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Linseed is made from flax. <laughs> okay, so now knowing the objective of insulation is, is to maintain that steady temperature. Right. And to slow down the heat transfer across the material. We use a nifty something called... R-value, which most people who've done a house or had anything to do with insulation kind of understand R-value. And it's really just some equation that equates to the amount of heat transfer over a certain period of time and that's represented as a number. That um, number is super handy because it allows us to compare the efficiency of different materials correct. to those heat transfers. Correct. And, you know, the thickness you need to achieve the R value required. So when we, we being architects... <laughs> look at code, things are typically listed as R value and different climate zones um, require different R values. So in the US, we go from climate zone one, which is the very tip of Florida to climate zone seven, which is northern Minnesota. Tulsa is climate zone three. Okay. We're in the middle, you know, kind of the northeast is more like four and sometimes a bit of five and six. Um, So what is required for a zone three situation would be, I'm looking at my notes, <laughs> in a wall for zone three, you want R20 or 13 plus five, which is really R13 in a wall plus five of continuous insulation. That's it's continuous insulation means there's a sheet on the outside of the wall that is continuous. Uh, so usually it's like a foam. Would that be like visit board situations? Mm, no. Are we talking the actual like foam sheet? You're talking about the actual foam sheets. There is zipboard that has insulation attached. Yeah. So that's kind of a bigger thing, but you can get zipboard that's just the sheathing too. And then like say zone six, which would be much colder climate, the walls are R20 plus five. So they do require an R20 wall, which is typically a two by six wall. Okay. Um, that's why a lot of plans and everything are coming with two by six walls on the exterior now because you need that to get that insulation depth in a lot of places plus five inches of continuous or plus R5 of continuous insulation, not five inches or 13 plus 10 uh, is what they require. So the this is the 2018 
um, IRC, which is a pretty typical code across the US. It gets used a lot. But that's just the walls, right? So typically R20 is what we're shooting for in our climate zone of in Tulsa. Tulsa area. In a attic, and this is where you really get your bang for buck for insulation, which is why I always tell people, insulate your attic before you even bother with your walls. <laughs> even in our zone, they require R38. So that's nearly twice what is required for your walls yep. in your attic. Um, and in cold climates, it's 49. <laughs> So it's a very thick layer of insulation. And our value of most insulation, so I have a bunch of different types of insulation listed here. Fiberglass bat, everyone knows. Some are between 2.9, 3.8 per inch. So, you know, a, a two by four wall is R13. Right. <laughs> Which we, in zone three, when we need 13.13 plus five, that would be a two by four wall with fiberglass insulation through it and then that foam sheet on the outside. Right. Which is usually five, R5 would be like an inch and a half foam sheet so foam um which would be rigid foam xps which is the pink stuff which you've seen like the pink panther stuff Mm -hmm. at home depot or eps which is like the little styrofoam beads yeah those are both well okay xps is r5 per inch so that has a higher r value per inch so the pink panther is higher insulating than the eps styrofoam beads which are 3.6 per inch so to get uh, xps is probably a better um continuous insulation for exterior but again you're not likely to do that in an old house because you're not taking your siding off right (laughs) but if you had to use some kind of rigid foam anywhere else like so if you wanted to insulate around your rim joists in your basement or something rigid foam might be a solution there that pink stuff you could go in and cut it around each joist it's a real pain in the butt but (laughs) but you can add insulation to places i mean um, part of our bedroom was over a crawl space mm-hmm. at the old house. Uh, and in the wintertime, that section of flooring was always freezing. Like the, <laughs> the house would be warm, but the underside of that was essentially exposed. Right. And I, I could like close off the vents and hold air there, but it would still get chilly. Right. Um, and a thing that I always dreamed of doing is crawling up under there and you can add insulative vats to the underside of the floor to mm-hmm. help hold that air in place. But I never did it. I mean, my favorite insulation, and I will push this until I die, is Rockwell bad insulation, especially in an old house, because it is fireproof, essentially. It's fire resistant, they say, but I don't think you could burn it if you tried. (laughs) It is not as itchy as fiberglass to work with. It's not as likely to cause like breathing problems. They're saying fiberglass is potentially the new asbestos because it is one of those things. The reason, the problem with asbestos is it breaks down continuously. Asbestos breaks down and it just keeps breaking down and keeps breaking down and keeps breaking down and it gets into like basically the cells in your lung and it's Mm -hmm. a problem and bad things happen. Uh, Fiberglass kind of does the same thing. It just keeps breaking down and breaking down. I don't think it's as bad as asbestos, but if you worked with fiberglass all of the time, you might end up with same kind of health problems you did if you were working with asbestos all the time. Ooh, okay. Not good stuff. Rock wool is spun wool or spun rock. Yeah. (laughs) It is rock wool. You're cute. You're doing great, boo. I'm having a day. Um, So it has about the same R value as fiberglass, except it's slightly higher, uh, 3.3 to 4.2 per inch. So you can actually get R15 in a 2 by 4 wall. With rock wool? With rock wool. It's super easy to work with. You basically cut it with a, like, bread knife. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Interesting. And it comes in widths that are meant to fit between like typical um, joist or stud spacing. So it comes in, it's slightly wider than the joist so that space you can overlap so that it's nail. basically, no, it's pressure fit. Ooh. It fits between them. So it just kind of 
fits mm-hmm. in there really nicely and it won't fall out. So you can actually insulate a floor with it. I had a friend just take some out of my garage and do it in her basement. <laughs> you just push it in there and it does not fall out. It's like a really kind of squishy gray pillow. Um, <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, and it is waterproof. Uh, animals don't like to nest in it. Bugs don't like to crawl through it. Like, it's a good insulation product for an old house when you don't have a perfect seal situation. So if you were in a situation where you were taking the interior of your walls off and wanted to insulate, yeah. Rockwell would be good an option. Um, you could put it in your attic. Same thing. It's a good option there. Before we talk about attics, um, one thing I've heard about is, like, crawl space encapsulation. It mm. was a thing I looked into. Mm-hmm. Um, and your face is already telling me that you hate that idea. <laughs> So why don't you explain it? Well, I mean, I do and I don't. It's really hard to achieve a perfect crawl space encapsulation, especially in an old house where we don't have perfectly smooth surfaces or things to attach to. Um, there's a lot of situations where the crawl space isn't really accessible, especially like my house is awful. Like, it's ten and ten. Yeah, you cannot get there. Um, it's just it's a difficult thing to achieve. If you have a lot of moisture going into your crawl space, often that you will be sold crawl space encapsulation to keep that moisture out of your house. But that moisture is still there. And very often that encapsulation isn't perfect mm. and it still gets through. <laughs> so it, it can kind of mask a problem sometimes. I just I just don't think it's like it's nice to think that there couldn't be any bugs or anything in my crawl space. Like I would love that if it was a perfectly <laughs> clean space, but uh, it's probably better to let it ventilate like it is built to do you know most most old houses have cross space vents right? right you're supposed to open them in the summer and close them in the winter um you know it lets that kind of moist air out although in the summer we're just throwing cold air down there anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> uh when i looked into it there they talked about the need for like a dehumidifier or something in that basement and essentially you have to circulate air through it somehow because otherwise the air is just going to sit there and it's going to be stagnant yeah there will be some moisture in that air that moisture is going to fall out and it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. When if you do successfully encapsulate your basement, you do need to condition it essentially because yeah. now that air. You're making a tiny room that you can't use. Yeah. You're making a tiny room that's not getting any fresh air, right? Mm-hmm. So Don't you be do stanky. need to. Well, the goal of most new houses or, you know, typically high sustainably green built houses is to have like a perfectly air sealed box where no exterior gets air gets in unless it is essentially invited invited in through things like ERVs or HRVs, which are air exchangers for exterior and they take heat out and put heat back, basically. Mm. Those situations, like, and that's like a perfectly controlled system. You're never going to achieve that in an old house. Nope. It's not Just possible. Just embrace it. Without basically rebuilding your house. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about the floors. We've talked about the basement. Let's talk about that insulation in my attic that's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck. Yeah, really, honestly, if, you're, if you've done your air sealing in your house, the next thing to do is to insulate your attic. Because most of your heat is escaping through your ceiling, right? Because mm-hmm. heat always rises. So if you can stop that heat from moving through your ceiling, you're going to keep your space much more comfortable in the winter. And even in the summer, because there's heat radiation from your roof, because that attic is hot. Well, I'm thinking like every childhood drawing of a house has a black triangle on the top. <laughs> and not all roofs are black. I appreciate that. But the vast majority of them are. Yeah. And roofs... Black roofs get hot. They like get hot. Every, every roof is just blasted by the sunshine all yes. day long. And so you are creating this pocket of superheated air that just sits up at the top of your house. And if you're not doing anything to stop that heat from coming down into your house, it's going to do it. It will eventually radiate 
the the thermal mass of heat that is in your attic into your house. It's not going to like the hot air is not going to come right, down. Right, it's not going to blow down. <laughs> but you will get the heat or transfer. Yeah, because hot air always rises. Yeah, there's some branch of science I'm blaming this on. <laughs> That's fine. I don't remember what it's not physics, thermodynamics. Maybe oh, I don't know what category that falls. We can into. use some big words. Um, it's been a long time since I did a science <laughs> class. <laughs> but that hot mass of air in your attic will eventually affect your house, and it you can insulate on the roof surface mm-hmm. and then essentially condition your attic. But you're more likely to be able to get a thicker bed of insulation on your ceiling than you are against your roof structure, especially in an old house because roof structures are typically smaller in old houses. Like mine are two by fours. You're right. So like. You can't fit anything I can't really fit any insulation up there. I'd have to spray foam, and I would never recommend spray foaming a roof, especially in an old house, because it traps moisture against your roof deck. And especially in climates where you have warm moist air in the winter, you get things like ridge rot, because that moisture, even with things like closed cell insulation, so we didn't talk about that. There's a difference between two kinds of spray foam. There is open cell spray foam, and there's closed cell spray foam. Open cell has a similar R value per inch to most everything else. Everything is about three per inch. Our value of open cell is about three and a half per inch. It's basically the same thing. Um, Open cell, basically the bubbles in it are popped and it lets vapor transfer through it. Okay. And so it's not forming, it looks like a solid wall, but it still has the ability to breathe. It still lets vapor transfer through it. Closed cell is, the bubbles are sealed. It does not let anything get through it. It is vapor sealed. Um, Open cell spray foam on a roof is a really big problem. Closed cell might be okay. We're not really sure. (laughs) I've read so many. Has it been around long enough to tell? No. Well, it has, but I've read so many building science articles articles and some people think it's fine some people think it's not i wouldn't chance it personally Uh, i mean usually you want your house to like be around personally i wouldn't chance letting my roof rot where i couldn't see it right yeah if water gets through the roof even with closed cell insulation that water is trapped in that roof deck it's not going anywhere and it's gonna rot Mm. you know so then am i when it comes to insulating my attic you mentioned i can like put it at the up against the roof line or I can just essentially insulate my ceiling. I would essentially insulate your ceiling. Is there like a specific technique or is it literally just pile as much insulative stuff there as you can? Um, I mean, so you want to be able to vent your roof because part of the thing that fails, especially if you have an asphalt shingle roof, they're meant to be vented. Mm-hmm. If that roof surface gets too hot, the asphalt basically melts and you lose all your grit and your roof fails a lot faster than it's supposed to. Um, So you want that airflow to happen from the eave to the ridge, typically if you have a ridge vent or some kind of pot vent or something. Old houses, that eave is not very well sealed. Mm -hmm. My house, I'm calling that an eave vent. Um, (laughs) don't know if it's actually working like it's supposed to but you want to make sure you allow that airflow so at the edges you want to be careful to not seal it against your roof at the edge as you pile that insulation up you want to let that airflow happen but yeah basically pile up as much insulation as you can doesn't have to be pretty doesn't have to be sexy which do math here (laughs) r40 would be how many inches of insulation Pulled out a calculator, friends. Yeah. So basically a foot of insulation is what you're shooting for kind of at minimum of anything. So you can do blown-in insulation, fiberglass bat. They have blown-in fiberglass bat. There's There are rock wool bats, which are solid. I think rock wool might have a blown-in situation. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head. Cellulose is another one. Wool. (laughs) 
Like you could put sheep's yeah, wool. I've, I've seen like insulation. recycled um, denim and stuff that yeah. people are using as recycled denim. They make. I mean, there is mushroom insulation, mycelium, basically. I don't know that that goes for like blown in, but I know it comes in sheets. Okay. But really, the moral of the story here is if considering insulation, and that's a possibility for you, yeah. put it in your attic. Put it in your attic and first. And put almost as much as you can. Yeah. if you, I mean, honestly, you can't have too much is kind of how I feel about it. If you can get, I mean, R40 is 12 inches of most insulation. So I might have six up there right now, which would be, you know, I could double it and be good. And I think I have cellulose with okay. the borate stuff, which is kind of gross. It's gross insulation. <laughs> As as we start winding down this insulation discussion and start moving into systems, I want to talk about Windows. Yeah, okay. Um, because we can talk about Windows as a system, but yes. Windows also have an insulative property. Um, and I know that one of the selling points of like new shiny windows or of, of newer windows. New windows. Replacement is, windows. Is that um, you get the insulated glass. And so they're more energy efficient. Mm, mm-hmm, um, so I know you have feelings. <laughs> I have feelings. Let's, so let's talk. This is one of the, I feel like it's intentional and I don't know if it is, but so windows thermal efficiency is listed as a U value. Okay. Which is an R value. It's an inverse of an R value. I feel like it's intentionally Difficult. confusing. Yeah. Because like if you knew what the R value of your window was, you'd be like, oh, that's not that much better. So <laughs> I always say, okay, so code requires in zone three a U value of 0.32. The inverse of which is, did I do this math? I don't think you did. It's like R3. Yes. So the inverse of which is R3, essentially. I don't understand those statements, but I will accept your statements as true. Basically, okay, so if you have the U value is 0.32, you divide by 1, no, 1 over 0.32. Yes. Okay, so 1 over the U value equals the R value, which I did write that down. Okay. If I read my equations here. So a single glazed typical historic window has a U value of one, which means it has an R value of one. Okay. Because one over one equals one. A typical like replacement window double glazed has a U value of like 0.5, which is does not meet the code requirement. But if you were like, you know, that guy that comes around selling you cheapo vinyl windows, typically those double glazed units have an R value of 0.5, or a U value of 0.5, which is an R value of two. So you've gotten Woo. one better than Ooh, your single Okay. <laughs> now these dots have connected, and this right? seems like a scam. Right? So it's not a whole lot better. Glass is a horrible insulator. Yes. Basically, insulated glass is a misnomer. It doesn't really exist. It's like slightly better. The best you're going to get out of like the highest high end double glazed system is an R value of three, where your single glazed window is an R value of one. So you've gained a slight insulation. Okay. But more bang for your buck, just put a storm window on it. Inside just or put outside? Just a storm window. You can do both. Ooh. You can be really extra and have a storm window on the outside and a storm window on the inside and probably have a more efficient unit than you could buy. <laughs> have a more efficient unit that comes in pieces right. so that they can be repaired and replaced as needed Correct. instead of needing to replace the whole thing. Windows are not, the, glass is just not a good insulator. And unfortunately, they've been selling these as they're more energy efficient 
efficient when they may or may not be actually more energy efficient. Chances are those inexpensive replacement windows, the super cheap ones, leak just as much air as your existing windows. And that is where you lose your efficiency in a window is the air leakage, not so much the insulation. And if you think about the window in a wall, right? It's not 50% of your wall. No, it's a small portion, usually. (laughs) It is a small percentage of the wall. So you're losing more heat through the wall, probably, than the windows itself. So you, before you replace your windows, insulate your walls. Okay. Um, Also, there is, there is an energy efficiency to be considered in the material used in a new window. And a new window, vinyl, usually or otherwise, is not made in a way that it can be repaired. Right. And so there is a cost. There a, a, a cost. There is a, a sunk cost in the materials that you're putting into your house right. that will have to be replaced in 10, 20. You it, might get you might get 15 years out of a double glazed unit. And then that because entire... Because the seal fails. That's the thing. So yeah. they sell you this lifetime warranty, which doesn't exist. Don't ever mm-hmm. believe the window sales people. They will never come back and replace them. <laughs> Because there's no such thing as a lifetime warranty. That that seal on that glass will fail. And typically, like, moisture gets in. That's how you get those foggy mm-hmm. double-glazed windows. And then you have to replace the whole window because you can't just replace the glass unit because it's in a plastic window. You can't take it apart. Yeah. there's <laughs> So... It seems funny. The modern vinyl windows, the plastic windows that you buy as replacements are literally designed in a way that they cannot be disassembled to be repaired. Right. Um, So once you get those leaks, once those seals do break, the only answer is to take that whole unit out and put a whole new window in. Mm -hmm. That and that new window comes with the material cost of of the embodied NG and the embodied carbon of that plastic, which came from fossil fuel. <laughs> yeah. And that old window that you have that's now 10, maybe 15 years, if you're lucky. Yeah. Goes to a landfill. Yeah. And, and the glass is trash. The plastic is trash. All of that just gets wasted. Not um, to mention your beautiful old 100-year-old wood windows that went in the trash before right. the vinyl did. Now, which I if understand. you happen to have an old house that's already had the windows replaced, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that wavy glass is not everyone's cup of tea. <sighs> Kaylin and I shrug at it, but it it that's okay. That can be your thing. Yeah. Um, but, but you could replace the glass with you can not wavy glass. replace the glass. <laughs> the cool thing about old windows is they can be repaired. Yes. Um, they can be sealed. You can replace the weather stripping. Um, you can make sh- you can adjust them so that they have tighter fits and yes. don't let the air through. Um, the glazing putty which fails and lets air come through around the glass. Mm-hmm. You can replace that to mm-hmm. make sure it's sealed off. And then we've talked about storm windows. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy. Or build exterior storm windows, which will fit on the outside. Those exterior storm windows are going to not only stop the air from blowing through your window because it's a physical barrier. Right. They're going to make that window that you have in place last longer. Yeah. Because they're going to protect. They protect the primary sash. And, I mean, these windows were made to have storm windows. Like, they shipped from the factory in 1910 with storm windows, or they were built on site with storm windows. Very often you'll find the ghosts of the little storm hangers Mm -hmm. on the outside. Storm windows are sacrificial lamb. They always rot first, right? Because they're the ones taking the brunt of the weather. But they're they're made with smaller materials. Like, they're designed in that way. Right, they're designed to be replaced. Like, that's what you should be replacing is your storm windows versus your primary sash. Yeah. Um, and then we mentioned you can do an interior storm window. Yeah. Um, so if there is a place that you're particularly interested in, um, like, having a super comfortable room. Maybe you have a room that <laughs> like has... Like my bedroom that's all windows. Nothing but windows. It's just windows. <laughs> 
putting an interior storm window is going to give that third material barrier yes. to air infiltration. It's going to give that second dead air space, which yeah. will have insulative properties. And it's going to do a lot to increase the comfort of those spaces that may like not feel the most comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I built storm window or I built a storm window. I cannot say multiple. I built a single storm <laughs> you window. You built one. You're doing better than me. <laughs> um, that one storm window. I think cost me $20 in materials to yeah. build. And I've looked up interior storm windows you can, again, make or you can purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're looking at like $75 to $100 per window to buy. Or if you make, you can actually use cheaper materials and you're looking at like $10 per yeah. window and that both of those things are cheaper than a whole window that's going to last you longer and actually work better right exactly like you will get significantly more bang from your buck even if you buy like the cheapest cheapo metal storms like if you don't have the physical ability to restore your windows or to you know build your own storm windows if you instead of replacing your windows just put storm windows on they're going to be a quarter of the cost of a new window probably yeah. and they're going to improve the efficiency significantly more than if you replace your windows and you still have the primary sash. If down the future you have the budget or the time or, you know, or someone in the future beyond you wants to restore those windows. They have the ability. (laughs) They have the ability. But once they're gone, they're gone. (laughs) But Caitlin, I like opening my windows when the weather's nice outside. If I put a storm window, I can't access it. I mean, storm windows are meant to be changed out. Like they were built as a system. You were supposed to have a storm window and a screen that you swapped per the seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can get storm windows that have replaceable, um, like, changeable glass panels. You can, like, pop a panel out, put a screen in instead. Or there are also, uh, like, like little mechanical arm situations. Mm -hmm. So you can, the storm window stays in place on its hangers, um, but you can kind of, like, kick the bottom out Mm -hmm. so you still get some of that ventilation. Yes. You can enjoy the nice weather. Does it exist, too? um, We just put a, we built new house. What we uh my neighbor built a new house <laughs> in the neighborhood i helped him i helped design and he put casement windows on it but they have storm windows and like it's a full wood window system that it's um, functional it's functional and it has those pop out storms yeah. i think they're really cool it's a real cool building um it is a cool building it's also a very pretty building if you <laughs> ever are in the neighborhood and want to check it out check out the joinery So, okay, windows are a great system. We've like we've done a good job talking about them. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those other systems that we think about in, in putting in our buildings, specifically heating and cooling. Right, systems. So, like, the last thing that you can do um, to improve the energy efficiency of your building is to improve the energy efficiency of the systems within your building, right? So, you start to look at things like a more efficient HVAC system, uh, a more efficient HVAC being heating, cooling, and well, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning is what HVAC stands for. <laughs> so heating, you know, there's lots of different types of heating systems. There's uh, radiators, which if you have an old house, you might still have those old um, water radiators. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're... Inc- they're they're incredibly comfortable. Whether they're efficient or not, that depends on what's heating the water. the water. If you still have them, please keep them because radiant heat is, in my opinion, far superior to forced air heat. It's just so much more comfortable. You lose a lot less humidity. If you, it's like a gentle glow of warmth coming off of the wall, as opposed to a column of dragon's breath. <laughs> 
drying you out. Right. Well, and it puts the heat where you are, right? In my house, I have 10-foot ceilings. So my heat comes from my ceiling and it never gets to me. (laughs) (laughs) It will be in the winter, probably 90 at the ceiling in this house. And it'll be like 68 where I'm sitting. So I'm I'm spending a lot of money to heat my ceiling. It's just not a very efficient way to heat a house, especially one like mine, which was built for the south where... We were built to have that heat stack with that extra heat being at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. It's great in the summer, not so great in the winter. In winter. Right. <laughs> I wish I had radiators or things like radiant floors. Same thing. Mm, cozy. There's forced air, which we just talked about, which can be used, you know, high efficiency gas or electric. They do heat pumps, which a heat pump is really just an air conditioner in reverse. <laughs> Somehow it concentrates the heat of the outside and then can pump it into your house. But they, they're designed so that even when it's freezing outside, it can pull enough heat out of the air mm-hmm. outside to make your house warm, which sounds like witchcraft. It is. But but they did finally like achieve so cool. a way to make a heat pump work in a low temperature. Yeah. They were always kind of a problem where places were really, really cold, but they started to create technologies that it can. They do it. They can do it. Yeah, I've, I've seen heat pumps that work down to like negative 20, negative 30. Which is wild to me. <laughs> and it still somehow can find enough heat in that environment to <laughs> pump into your house. Right? Yeah. Super cool. So yeah, if you if you have a situation, let's say you have radiators and that system works great, but you're still using like a an oil burner or something to make the hot water to mm-hmm. pump through the radiators. Um, you can keep the radiant heating system, which is not in and of itself inefficient, right? but how that water is getting hot. So you can replace a portion of that system to a more energy efficient heating system to keep your, your radiant heating. Right. And let's say you have a forced air system that is working. It's going to be a better bang for your buck. To let it run for a few more years until it is time to replace it. Right. Just because it comes or just because a new, more efficient technology comes out, it doesn't mean that it's the best idea to just trash that system and buy the new thing. Right. Because again, sunk cost in those materials. Well, and when the time comes, I mean, this is kind of one of those systems, when the time comes to replace those systems, because more often than not, our systems are what fail first in our house. Like water heaters last somewhere between eight and 12 years. Which, like, can you imagine if the hot water heater lasted for 150? years but like the walls fell over every 10 that'd be terrifying <laughs> that'd be terrifying it'd be so weird uh but so like those things when it comes time to replace those consider your options on things that are more efficient um you know eventually i will be replacing my cooling system for a more efficient one it's yeah. right now relatively efficient i think it's like a 18 which is not terrible but it's not great <laughs> that number means nothing to me uh sear so the sear rating is the energy efficiency rating of a cooling system. Why can't we just pick one number and stick? Oh, uh, they make up all sorts of numbers. Um, but they go up to twenty-five. So for okay. a scale, I'll just tell you that. Okay, steer rating goes up to twenty-five, and that's really just like the efficiency of the condenser, essentially, Got which to. is what is in a heat pump. It's a condenser. It's just reversed. Geothermal, which in the Tulsa area is maybe not so great because our ground gets so hot. Okay. Uh, but geothermal is a option. I think it's maybe falling a little bit out of fashion because it's very expensive to install because they have to drill super deep holes, drill a bunch of holes in your yard. And that's they're pumping the water or coolant or whatever they're running through it uh, at a constant temperature. So like ground is in theory a constant temperature. Uh, if you go deep enough. Yeah. If you go deep enough here, apparently my water line's not deep enough because I get no cold water <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> 
So mini splits. Yeah. Sexy. Mini splits are an option too. Um, if you happen to have radiators and you don't have a cooling system and you're starting to find that the summers are getting hotter, which unfortunately they, they are. are. <laughs> this is the coolest summer of the rest of our lives. And you don't want to put in a full forest air system. Mini splits are a solution for that. Or if you have a single room that is maintain not being a comfortable temperature. Yeah. Uh, a mini split is a great solution yeah. to, to get a little air in there. Um or an outside workspace. They're starting to create some one, well, I mean, you can look at things like solar. That's mm-hmm. always an option too to Ooh. start to think about putting solar on your house. Um, so I know you have strong feelings about tankless hot water heaters and how and the energy <laughs> efficiency that comes in there. I growing up was was sold the lie. I will say that they are the like shiny, sexy thing that everybody should go for. I mean, um, they are and they aren't. So like a tankless water heater can be efficient if you don't use it very often, right? So like the energy efficiency of a tankless water heater is that it's not running when it's not needed. Mm-hmm. But newer water heaters, especially if it, you're living in the house and you're using the water all the time, they're so well insulated that once they heat that water, it probably stays hot until you use it, okay. basically. When you have a instant hot water heater, it has to burn a ton of energy to heat that water very fast. And if you're using a lot of hot water, the balance is probably that you're probably using more energy to heat that water because you have to jump that temperature up very quickly, whereas it uses less energy to heat in a tank that sits because it's it heats this giant tank of water and sits there and it's hot for 12 hours and you use it (laughs) well and in giant tank of water if you use a portion of that tank then it refills you're just heating that difference Mm -hmm. but you get to share some of that heat yes and as opposed to everything coming in at constant temperature and it all having to go the full distance well Um, that can be a problem if you have particularly cold water in the winter right because you can only raise that temperature a certain amount this this was one of the per minute flow right this was the the point that like was the deal breaker for me (laughs) um so sure let's say the the water heater can raise the temperature 50 degrees right that's and we can make 50 water plus 50 degrees right but if the water coming into the house is feeling like 50 it's only going to get up to 100 so my bath in the summer in the winter time is going to be a lot chillier than my bath in the summertime when the water coming in is 70 or 80 degrees right just right We were talking about hot water heaters. We've, we've talked about systems. I feel like we've really covered the majority of the information here. Yes. Um, and I, I like how we covered it this time around. So Maybe we did it better this time. I think we did. <laughs> Certainly more concise and focused. Um, but Maybe it helps that I didn't write the show notes today. The day of. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's all just floating around in there. <laughs> when we think about energy efficiency... I I stand by the point that I started with. When we think about energy efficiency, I still think about those bright yellow stickers in Home Depot. Yes. Um, but as we talked through in our podcast, sometimes that's the end point. You know, the the systems and the things that you purchase to add on to the house and will replace throughout your house totally have an impact on energy efficiency. Yeah. Um, but those up you upgrade them as they need to be replaced. Right. Um if you think about the conditions that your house sits in, that's going to set a lot of the tone for the environment 
of your house, which is going to determine what you have to deal with for uh, air moving through and the temperature variations that you have to deal with. Yeah. Which then determine the type of insulation that you need and what's going to be the best fit. Yes. And then you can think about how those systems work with those conditions of your site to make sure that your house is as comfortable and energy efficient as possible. When it's a lot more fun to plant trees than it is to insulate a wall. And and like faster (laughs) and cheaper, like in every way possible (laughs) is better. It's just so much more fun to garden than it is to insulate a wall (laughs) is how I feel about it. But I mean, I think that's honestly the best bang for your buck we've talked about is deal with the outside, talk about air sealing, put insulation in your attic, and you could stop there. And your house would be a whole lot more comfortable. If your windows are really leaky, think about restoration or storm windows or both. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good, I mean, that's kind of how you address air sealing, right? Same thing. And you're going to be a whole lot more comfortable. And then as your systems need replacing, think about different kinds of systems that might be more energy efficient. But really, you don't need to just like tear your house down and build it from scratch and get a perfect new house. Don't buy the lies. Don't buy the lies. Well, honestly, like in seeing how construction goes in new houses, even when we have modern materials and how they're supposed to be applied. They're very rarely applied perfectly. Mm-hmm. And even a new house is very rarely perfectly sealed or mm-hmm. <laughs> perfectly. And it and there are different variations of how well a house is built, especially new houses. Um, some of them are really slapped together and some of them are built very well. It depends on who's paying attention and who's <laughs> building them. <laughs> so a new house is not necessarily always more energy efficient than your old houses. Because sometimes those old houses, they were built for the climate they're in, right? Yep. They were built in a time before systems like air conditioning existed. Right. I mean, heating always kind of was a thing. We always have to heat our houses or we're going to freeze to death. But <laughs> Well, we had that technology. Fire has been around for a while. Fire has been around for a really long but time. But like cooling air is pretty recent technology. Right. Cooling air is like 1915, twenty. But like it wasn't in houses until probably the 50s or 60s. And even still, like, yeah. Anyway, so you, our houses were built to be comfortable mm-hmm. in the climate they're in. So they were made for that. So they, you know, in the South, we probably have deeper eaves. There, We have huge windows that you're meant to open to ventilate your house. That's yeah. why our windows are so big. <laughs> uh, when I lived in New Orleans, I always thought it was so cool. They had windows that you could walk through. Oh, like, I love like those windows. You could, you could open the bottom sash and the, literally the walk high. through it. Yeah. Yes, they were so great. I love them. <laughs> so pretty. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, they were great. Um, but even though an old house may Maybe as efficient, maybe not as a new home, new mm-hmm. construction, whatever. The benefit of an old house is that you can repair it. You, you can right. make those modifications to improve those conditions really on a DIY scale to make a big impact. When it's appreciating what you have, right? So like I will always say this, the greenest architecture is the architecture that already exists. Yes. The building that already exists is the greenest building because the embodied carbon that's in that building has already been used. And if your building is older, that embodied carbon is well been utilized mm-hmm. over its time. It's more green to fix that and make that slightly better than it is than to tear it down and build something new that might be, quote unquote, more energy efficient. Thank you.
The Keeping Room is a production of Bungalow Roots Architecture. I'm Caitlin Parker. You can find me at Bungalow Roots on Instagram, where I'm most active, or on my website at bungalowroots.com. And I'm Jake Landry. Follow along with me at Reluctant House Husband on Instagram or on my website, reluctanthousehusband.com. If you've got questions or comments about the podcast, Caitlin and I would love to hear from you at our email address, thekeepingroompod at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Until next time. I think that was solid. I think that was good podcast episode.